<laughs> Die. <laughs> you don't want. You. Oh. Is it supposed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's all solidified at the bottom, Graham. You don't have to. Do you want me to add some water? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't, you don't have to. You want to taste it? it? No. Is this how you do it every night? Oh, Grammy, come on. You don't have oh, to do man. that. At least put on some soda bread. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's almost done. You want like a little Just, nothing? Done? No. I, put I a little water in that? No, I know, but what about lose the, like the no? All right. You're a champ. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh, shit. I sure as shit wouldn't be able to do that. No. Definitely not. Yeah, you're being recorded. <clears throat> you are. Oh, that's rough. Well, here, have some water. What's that thing? Yeah, it was pretty good. I was going to tell you, this is my microphone that I use for my podcast. I have wow. a few thousand listeners from like 42 countries, and I talk about nursing science with, uh, you know, to the world. And Wow, Ian, that's amazing. Yeah. So, I'm recording you, so we'll just chit-chat. <laughs> <laughs> You were saying something about getting into nursing, and I thought that's a good place. So, how did you get into nursing at all? <clears throat> when the Second World War was on, my cousin came to live with us in our four-room apartment. She was uh, one of the Riveter girls, you know, the Rosie the Riveter. In the Second World War, the women did all this work mm-hmm. because the men weren't they putting the men in the army. Yeah, yeah. And she had a, a friend she met there, and it was Peggy Buckles, and. After, so anyway, they would come to my house and they would, my mother, and my mother was good friends with them. And the war ended in 1945. And so they didn't have to make airplanes anymore. So, but Peggy said she was going to be a nurse. And she said she was going to apply to Yale New Haven. And she did. And I I said, you know, that's wonderful. And I said, oh, I wanted to be a nurse. She said, well, she said, I'll tell you, if you're going to be a nurse, you have to understand that don't, you don't want to go to a three-year program. You have to go to college to get a good education. And so I remembered that. And so that's what I did. So St. Joseph College, which is now St. Joseph University, was a wonderful experience. It was a very, very good school. Was it a bachelor's degree of nursing back then? Yes. It was? Okay. Yeah. Yep, they could, because I, that's where I was. That's what the school... What did. year was this? 1950 to 1954. And you were how old? You must have been like 19. I was, eight, I was almost 18. I turned 18 uh, in about three weeks. Wow. In fact, I went to college two days after I graduated from high school. <laughs> I had a wonderful experience. It was, it was so great to be able to, to feel that I was getting the best education I could. So uh, I remember the college was one of those things where it was all women, and we do our classwork like from 8, eight o'clock in the morning until 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and we'd have a break for lunch. So you got your BSN, and then what was your first nursing job? At the state hospital in psychiatric nursing. 
the Norwich State, Norwich State Mental Hospital. Hospital. Yep, and NSH, and I went there primarily because the pay was so good. It was much. It was quite a few dollars more than what you would earn working in a hospital. Hmm. And my one of my close friends was also going there, so I wanted to go with her too. It was very interesting. And I met my husband when I went to the state hospital to work. And he was, a, I thought he was kind of a foolish, jerky kind of a guy. He worked in the kitchen and he was, he was a clown, you know. <laughs> he was good looking, but he was a clown. I mean, Aren't they all? <laughs> he went in the army. He was in the army for two years. And he came out. And when I knew him again, I had graduated. I had been there at least in my whole four years, the four, the four years when he came back then. Marty didn't remember me, but I remembered him, and he was so different. What happens to people when they go in the Army and they get really squared away? He was very squared away. <laughs> but we were married for 50 years. Can you do that after we're done recording? Can you please, though, because we're recording currently. I will help you clean the kitchen after. A hundred percent chance, I can tell you it will. It picks up the weirdest things. He's just fidgety. Ooh. You, you're fidgety. I'm not fidgety. I just want to make sure I clean the kitchen. Yeah, well, we have time. Plus, we have 20 minutes before Grammy's ice cream, so. <laughs> um, but anyway, so you were saying he came back from the military, different man. <clears throat> and we went out. And I didn't think he was so good. You know, he was all right. But then we went on again and again, and I got to know him a little bit better. He turned out to be a lot different from the younger, silly guy who went into the, the Army. And then he came out and came back to the hospital, and he started to, to work. And I, I went with him a couple of times. I thought, oh, I don't know. And I was dating a guy from the Navy, Jimmy Barnes. <laughs> and he wanted me to marry him. And I thought, no, we'll have to just think about it. <laughs> but uh, I just... There was something about Martin that just attracted me. He just Well, I'm glad because I wouldn't be here otherwise. So. No, I know. <laughs> That's right, because of six kids. How did you manage a career at the same time as having six kids? Because I had a husband who worked days and I worked second shift. Oh, I never knew that. We didn't work the same shift. Wow. So until I was a mother who could leave her kids, kids were old, they were leaving the house. I didn't get to work on days until, gosh, I think for about seven years I worked on days. And mm. then I was 55. Quit. I should never have quit at 55. But I quit at 55 because my husband quit at 55. Mm. He had gotten himself a very fine um, job because he was interested in uh, improving himself. And he had only... He hadn't graduated from high school. He got mad at the teacher or somebody, and he walked out three days before graduation, and he came to work at the state hospital in the kitchen. Hmm. Now, that shows you where his head was at. When he came back, he, went, he got on the wards when he was 18, because he was still 17 when he went to work there. Hmm. At 18, you could work on the wards. So he learned about the patients, and he did. By then, we had like 3,000 patients in this hospital, and it was... Quite a crazy place. 3,000 psych patients. Yeah. 
So we went to see a person who did some teaching at nighttime, and there's some kind of high school courses you can take that will lead you to a diploma, and that's what he did. Then he did that for a while. Then he decided, seven, eight, ten years after that, he they had started a program at the state hospital that was going to be a program to test people who wanted to be to get into the nursing field, take a course that would and allow them to do LPN work. There were nine people in the course, and he was one of them. I don't know quite how he got the, to be picked, but I guess by that time he had a reputation about, of being a, a good, reliable person and very good with patients. So he finished that course and, and with his LPN license. And so he was an LPN for a long time. He was really, really good at his job. He was very well respected at the hospital. He really, really was. And so it was, was kind of nice. By that time, we were both on days, so. Oh, okay. It was a long time. So the kids were a little bit more grown up. Oh, well, we could leave them. Yeah. So you were an RN. He was an LPN, both in psych. Mm -hmm. That must have been interesting. It was interesting in the fact that uh, I knew a little bit more than he did. <laughs> but... <laughs> I tried to not, you know, act like a smart aleck, and mm. we got along okay. It was at its challenges. I wish that that you could have seen what it was like to to take care of patients before they they had uh, psychotropic drugs, before Thorazine. Mm. Oh my God! Well, tell us a little bit about that because it's oh. oh, it was terrible. I remember when it first came. They were call, using a drug called Frinkwell. Maybe I've told you this, and I, they don't, the drug doesn't exist anymore. What did you call it? Frinkwell? F-R-E-N-Q-U-E-L, Frinkwell. Wow, interesting. And I don't know, I've never read anything. I should try to look it on my cell phone to see if mm. it's in there. I don't know. Yeah. But I've never heard of it after that, because Thorazine came the drug, and Compazine. And we had a miraculous change in... So many patients that eventually they were like a thousand of them were discharged. Hmm. Can you believe that? I mean, it's, really. But before that, I worked, uh, I was working second shift. I worked in a, um, a unit that had um, three buildings in it. I was a supervisor in, in three buildings, Cutter, Butler, and Dix. And these were <laughs> named after, that's the names of the buildings. Hmm. They were named after famous people well-known people in the field of medicine. Mm. I never heard of any of them, but that was the name of the building. Mm. And one of them was um, a ward, the, the Cutter building had a tidy and an untidy side. Interesting. And on the untidy side, most of the patients were naked because they ripped their clothes off. And it was very strange to walk around a bunch of naked women. You know, there weren't as many uh, male patients in psych as there were women. One time I remember we were looking for a person. We couldn't find her. We put her in a seclusion room. Mm -hmm. And when you put the woman in a seclusion room, they'd sleep, sleep on a, um, a mattress that was made out of very tough fabric. You couldn't tear it. If you were a normal person, you couldn't tear it. And you had a strong blanket, which was a big, heavy, heavy, heavy thing. That's all you could have. And you couldn't have any clothes because they were afraid they'd hung themselves with clothes. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't. We couldn't find her. Her name was Josephine. 
said, where is she? She's not in there. How did she get out? Because she can't get out. What happened? Did she got the window? No, the window's not open. We're looking through this, this hole in, in the door that was a foot square. We couldn't see her in there. So we, there were three of us, and we decided we'd better go and open the door and see what happened to her. Maybe she's on the floor and she's dead and we can't see her, you know? Well, we opened her, opened the door, and she wasn't there. And then we looked like that, and she was up in the corner with her arms and her feet pressed against the wall. So she was holding herself in a triangular position. I don't know how she did that. I still don't know how she, how she could get her feet up there. And the walls were all concrete, so it wasn't like, they weren't beautiful rooms, terrible. Wow. There were some, some of the ladies would uh, claw up on the, they had grates on the windows instead of screens. There were these grates that, that were like this, you know, this big. And that was to get light come in, but not to protect people from looking in because you couldn't see. And the patients would get up there and climb and hang on these things. I mean, there was, we chased them down and got them down, but it, it, was, it was a very uh, difficult place to take care of patients. And really difficult. Yeah, and the point you're making is this was before Thorazine and some of oh, these yeah. psychotropic drugs. So what, so you're the nurse in that room. Presumably, maybe there's a doctor around somewhere, but probably it's a bunch of nurses, right? It was second shift. The doctors was a doctor on call, and if you had a problem, you had to call a doctor on call. And, and good luck. I used to tell them supervisors, you know, supervisors would come through. There were three supervisors on the evening shift, and they came through every evening into the buildings, and they got a um, report about the patients today, how have they been today, who's this, who's that, who's done this. So we had a, a running information when I went to work. I'd know what to expect, you know. So that was kind of important. When I became a supervisor on second shift, it was a whole different thing because I was part of the administration. And so it, it gave me a lot more money. It also gave me a chance to keep on going. Mm. So anyway, that's what we did. It was interesting. Very so interesting. this was back in the day where... They had done lobotomies, right? I started to work there, and they were still doing them. But it, they weren't doing them that often. And I have had several patients who have had lobotomies. And when they do a lobotomy, they make, drill a hole in their, in their head like this big, and they take the, the skull bone out, put it in a sterile area. They take this, these needles or something, and they would go from one hole to the other and do something to the 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 middle of their head. Some people didn't have that bad a reaction, but most of them were turned for vegetables. But they were lobotomized because they were so destructive and so constantly, you know, attacking people. And you had to keep them in restraints. We had wet sheet packs. We had cold cold water bathtub packs. We had insulin shock therapy. It was awful. Insulin shock therapy. Yes, they used to take a patient and give her a very high dose of insulin. And when the patient began to convulse, they would shoot her with sugar, and the sugar stopped the convulsions. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was a crazy thing. And I don't think it ever cured anybody. I would imagine not. What was the theory? Like, why? 
I don't understand the theory behind the, the use of, of insulin, except that it did, it did make you convulse. Mm. It was a thing that you weren't supposed to give to a normal person, only a diabetic. You know, yeah. it's, I wonder if they thought that making the brain have a seizure, like that electrical activity mm -hmm. might somehow fix mm -hmm. their brain, yeah. being so hypoglycemic. Yeah. But that's, that's crazy. Terrible. It was terrible. And then you said something about wet packs. but And the wet sheet packs. Oh. Wet sheet packs. I got into one, you know. I had to have one. I had to know what it was like to be in a, uh, the cold tubs. And it was cold in there. So I stayed in one for 15 minutes. I said, I gotta get out of there. And I, I got, had a wet sheet pack, and they put these three sheets. And the top sheet was a, a sheet that, that uh, secured your arms really close so that you could be wrapped up. But the top one just secured you so tight you couldn't move anything. And oh my God. It, so I, could, I stayed in that for half an hour. And I said, okay, I'm gonna get out. <laughs> But I think it was pretty. It was pretty good. If you ever saw the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you'd see exactly how the state hospital was run. Mm. I wish you could see that movie because it's very, 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 very true. Nurse Ratchet. You didn't see it. You ever seen the movie? We saw Nurse Ratchet. Ratchet. Yeah. Recently, they did like a. I don't know if it was they did a, like a spin-off show that was just about her. Yeah. About really? Yeah. Recently. Yeah. It's on Netflix yep. or something. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. What what was she? She was a she was in uh in the movie she was a nurse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It was I, actually a pretty good show. I think it was I don't the know most if part. it was her beginnings cuz in in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest isn't she like older? Is she an older? Oh yeah, she's an older woman. Yeah. So this is She like didn't a, have white hair but she's an older woman. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in this show, the Nurse Ratchet show, she it's like her pre-story of what led her really well, led her to. Well, she was a witch. But you're saying that that's a true representation of your experience. Absolutely, especially oh my God, the patients had to have. They had to be naked, and they had to have a, a nursing a gown on, you know, mm -hmm. and it was tied in the back, and they were standing in line. And one after the other was brought to the table and strapped down with their arms and their legs. And when they, when they put the um, electric plugs on their heads, and they start doing this. And it was so bad that you had, we had people holding them so they wouldn't hurt themselves or whatever. Like electroconvulsive yeah, therapy? we didn't tie them. We held them. Like they would hold, so you're saying they would walk up in a line <clears throat> and get ECT standing yeah, one up? one at a time. They'd line up. It was your turn next. You go into the room, and they didn't see what was happening until they got in there. Just indiscriminate ECT. Yeah, this is before psychotropic drugs, and the psychotropic drugs saved so many lives. Yeah, so many lives. Wow. But it was important to to know that you were doing something that was going to lead to a, not a cure, but at least they would be over this episode or this part of their lives. And a lot of them didn't. And we didn't have too many patient suicides. We learned the hard way about not letting them have clothes in seclusion. And it was awful. You had to make rounds. You had to check them every in the door. 
and you had to use that window. And honestly, God, it was just a small window. And how do you see what's going on in the corner when you can't get your head in the hole, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was the beginning of, like, safe rooms. Like, now we take out, they can't have, I mean, really, they can't have anything potentially dangerous that they might use to hang themselves or they might use to, you know, hurt themselves. Like, they can't have pencils. They can't have, nothing. you know, stuff nothing like that. Sharp. Yeah. There were some patients who, there weren't very many patients, but there were some patients who couldn't be trusted because they weren't depressed. I'm so grateful that science has come so far. Yeah. You must have had some really interesting conversations with uh, people back then, like patients. and I mean, because the only tool you had really, right, was to, talk I mean, to uh, you know, talk to them or wrap them in cold mm -hmm. sheets. <laughs> it's hard. So what was your favorite thing about being a nurse? I think it was the personal satisfaction I had in, in making a difference in patients' lives, I think. Hmm. Because if we didn't have people paying attention to the mentally ill, they would just stay mentally ill and get worse and worse and worse. And there are some people who never get better. I had a neighbor who lived next door to me whose son was in the hospital. And uh, he was let go from the hospital because they thought he was going to be able to function by himself. And so he went out. But, but he had this crazy thing of he wanted to, to protect himself in this room. He was renting a room. And in his room, he had plastic, not plastic, aluminum foil. He put aluminum foil all over the room so that nothing could get in at him. And I don't know what he was thinking of. I don't know how he thought that was going to help him. I know my neighbor went to see him, and you know, that stuff is all over. We had to do something with him. We put him back in the hospital again. I don't think he ever came out to stay out. I think he was discharged a couple of times, but he didn't stay out. Yeah. It's very hard for, for patients. It really is. Especially for people who have more serious mental illness. Have to under have to believe that the patient is going to be cooperative to the instructions that they receive before they get discharged. And that they're going to take their medication and go to, they, they had, sometimes they have outside meetings they could go to. And if they didn't do that, they would recede back to their, their sick thinking. What do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe two more questions. One would be, well, you're 90 now, and you were a nurse for how long? 40 years? <laughs> well, from 1950, so I finished in 1954. I went to State Hospital to work, and I worked for 45 years. So that was what? I worked for 50 years, 50, almost 51 years. Wow. And my husband was, was going to leave, retire, and I didn't want to be the only one working. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> I should never have done that because I would have had um, probably a lot of things done. You know, I wish I hadn't. You can't undo something like that. Yeah. What do you think about where nursing has gone since the 1980s, even? Oh, my God. It's like a whole new experience. I, I have no idea about any of the things that you learn because you do a lot of jobs that nurses could not do when I was a nurse. Mm. You know, 
Could you do it? Can you do a tracheotomy? Uh, no, but I can manage them. And if somebody's trach comes out, I can put it back in. Um, yeah, but you can't like do that. it. But no, like that's how I lost a patient one time. Oh, because they choked and he ate this. He ate, we said they used to bring uh, food to the patients at night for bed, and they, they brought these big, fat sandwiches, and some of the patients would eat normally, but. This one patient was shoving the food in his mouth, and he got it down here, and it stuck. Mm. And I was passing out medications in the in the ward, and the aide calls me. She says, "Some get this. So and so, he's 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 turning black and blue, and he's he's not." Re I go, oh "My God!" So I put my medications back in the in the office, and I ran over there, and I tried to get my fingers in his mouth. And I couldn't get up. I, I pounded him on the back. How do you get something that's gore, that's in his throat, way down there? And so, of course, we called the doctor, and he didn't come. Like he was maybe ten, fifteen minutes before he got there, which is just long enough for someone to had, die. <laughs> and he, he died. The patient died. So they had a big investigation, and I had to go to the up to the super the superintendent's office and explain to them what my part in it was. And uh, I remember asking them, the only thing that could have saved this man was to have a tracheotomy. And the doctor who came to uh, see him didn't do that. And I said, did you expect me as a nurse to do a tracheotomy? Mm -hmm. you know, that's why I asked you, you, don't, you still can't yeah, do no, it, no. no. No, absolutely not. I know about where it is. Yeah. Can you imagine a psychiatrist doing a tracheotomy now? <laughs> No, you have to have your head back, way back. Yeah. That's actually, it's a little Oh, yeah, low. you got to go. Oh, that's a beautiful neck. <laughs> I could do a trick right there. Let's do it. You got your straw ready? <laughs> Maybe. I know. Oh, my God. You have no... To, to see a patient die right in front of you was, for me, a very upsetting experience because I felt responsible somehow. I didn't know what else I could do. I, yeah. I hit him on the back. I, we turned him upside down. We tried to shake him. You called the doctor? We called the doctor first. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why he took so long to get there. But if how long would you live if you're not able to get any air? 10 minutes? 15 minutes? How long does it take you to die? Uh, not long. I mean, and then if you asphyxiate your brain, it doesn't take long for you to become a vegetable. Mm. I can't, he must have eaten, shoved a whole damn sandwich in his mouth. That's terrible. It was. And that was before, they didn't have like the Heimlich maneuver at that point, I'm assuming? No, we didn't have Heimlich maneuver. Yeah. I don't think that would put enough pressure to get that sticky stuff that was... You think it was like... Chewed up and swallowed. Like globule you know? in there. Wow. Try to imagine eating that whole thing and shoving it in your mouth. Two or three of those. Yeah. Even two of them, that's a whole sandwich. Yeah, I mean, well, the reality is too. Like, if it caused a plug lower down than you would do the trach, the trach wouldn't help either. No, because it's in the way. Yeah, right? so they'd have to do a bronchoscopy and pull it out that way. So somebody would have to be on site anyway. I mean, it, that's tricky. Yeah. But, but you know, that, I have never forgotten that. I will never forget it because I, I, I didn't feel responsible for him dying, but I felt so helpless that I couldn't that I couldn't help him you know yeah oh I was so upset god I think even when we have 
tools available and somebody passes, it still feels that way. Like um, in the PICU, we have patients that pass, young patients, kids, but they're like, they've got a team. They have an, you know, a primary and secondary nurse. They've got two nurses at the code cart. They've got an attending physician. They've got a resident who mostly just watches the attending and learns from the attending, sometimes gets in the way. There's often a respiratory therapist, almost always a respiratory therapist. Like even with all the tools and techniques we have, I mean, there's still that feeling of like, what if we did this differently or... So now you have, uh, I don't know how many family members, like grandkids and nieces and nephews that are nurses, but... <laughs> I don't know. I should write them all down. Yeah. What does it feel like to be the matriarch nurse? <laughs> oh god you're like my Florence Nightingale it's funny because it's not funny but it's uncomfortable to think that there's so much I don't know about nursing today and Kim is, is an example and then Jessica Jessica is very very you know, skilled oh yeah yeah she manages a lot what piece of advice would you give nurses today based on your experience? It's important for nurses to have uh, up-to-date information, and the only way you can get that is to have the American Journal of Nursing or whatever is the, the things you can read on a monthly basis. And that's, that, to me, is very basic because once you become a nurse, you just don't stop learning. Mm. You have to keep on learning. And you have to learn about stuff you never thought you knew about, you know. So, I think it's very important. I wish I had done that. I didn't. I was too busy having kids. I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It was very interesting. It was hard to have three kids in diapers. That was difficult. Yeah. It's hard for me to take care of one kid in a diaper during the day, so... Oh my God! It's Kim like, started working with my with the babies when she she was of great help to me. And uh, every time I got I I had Chris and I had Kim, and I said to myself, I want I want to have another girl. Girls would be nice. A boy would be okay, but okay. So I'll have a I'd rather have a girl. Well, I had a boy. So the next time I got pregnant, I said. Oh God, please send me a girl. I need to have another girl. I want a little girl. I have one, but she needs a sister. <laughs> another boy. <laughs> then I had two more boys. Two more boys. I said, oh my God, what am I going to do? So my sister-in-law, is this running? It is, yeah, but I can shut it off. Shut it off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>